Hello and welcome to Stu Does America. Coming up, we have a New Hampshire primary day. It's in effect. We all get to see if the Democratic Party is actually capable of counting. Blaze TV's Steve Dace and Josh Hammer from The Daily Wire are going to break down the race. Plus, we'll tell you how to legally make money predicting the results. And Greta Thunberg has a new BBC documentary about her life, which so far pretty much consists of skipping school and yelling at you for driving. Should be fantastic. Can't wait for that. By the way, remember to be a good steward of your environment and find the nearest button that says subscribe. Now, when you click that and rate and review this podcast, you are going to save one tree from falling on a litter of kittens. It's good work. Somebody's got to do it. This is Stu Does America. Stu Does America. All right. Well, you know you've done it. You've crushed the hopes and dreams of a little girl. Good job, everybody. Yeah. Nice work. You over there especially. That was great. You've made a difference in someone's life, and that's important. Little Greta Thunberg, best known for inventing the opposite of a snow day. She skips school because it's too warm. And she's always available to travel to a giant conference, grab a microphone, and yell at you. How dare you? How dare you? I mean, I gotta say, it's, it's kind of fun to say. You know, you kind of want to just bust it out at a drive-thru. That'll be 542, sir. How dare you? I feel like it might work. And it's not just the fun accent. It's the pure emotion behind it. The truth is, Greta Thunberg is freaking... I mean, she hates your guts, doesn't she? If she could liquidate you from space with a giant laser, she's using one finger to press the button and the other to flip you off. Can you blame her, though, for being miserable, honestly? If you were fully convinced that everyone around you was committing mass genocide by tailpipe, you'd probably hate life, too. With that context, you can kind of easily understand how she manages to always look like the alternate product illustration on a children's cough medicine ad. Our cough syrup tastes like wild berries. Theirs tastes like uh, athlete's foot. Our cough syrup tastes like bubble gum. Theirs tastes like human sadness. But despite any near religious belief I might have on the positive effects of mocking teenagers, it's a little bit less funny when you remember what she says after. How dare you? How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Okay, it's actually not any less funny. I take that back. But, I mean, stolen my childhood, holy crap, I mean, it's pretty dark. It's not quite the comedy that conservatives want it to be, is it? And it's definitely not the horror movie that liberals want it to be either. It's a sad, depressing life suck of a situation that should make you seriously interested in self-harm. Coincidentally, that is the word-for-word review uh, that I had for the movie Cats. Parenting is really a tough job. Uh, We understand that. But a decent chunk of it is making sure that your kid's childhood isn't stolen by anyone, and most certainly not by you. So let me offer a, a limited a limited defense of our young Greta, which is a great way to start a conservative show, especially if you don't want it to succeed. Greta was birthed via the loins of someone named Malena and someone named Svante. Let's meet the parents. Now, this is Svante with Greta's mother, Malena Ehrenman, (laughs) who gave up a very successful operatic career in order to Well, for the sake of her daughter's budding career as a climate activist, shall we say. 
I want to focus on the fact that they just said Greta lecturing us on the weather was a career. But I'm kind of stuck on the photo of mom and dad. You got to see this if you're listening to the podcast. I mean, apparently Greta was the result of something sweaty that happened in these sticky pages of a 1980s gas station romance novel. I challenge you to tell me that this man doesn't have the hands as strong as a burly lumberjack. Get as soft as a hand model for rich people moisturizer cream. Go ahead. Deny it. I dare you. And believe me, this guy knows exactly where to put those hands. Oh, yeah. And perhaps that's why he can't get through a speech without putting them all over himself. I mean, what is he doing? He's got his hands on his cheek all the time. He's plucking his beard with his fingers in the middle of an answer. Uh, I guess this is a self-hug, I guess, there. Um, your, your, yep, your earlobes are still there, sir. Uh, nope, nah, try some moisturizer, potentially. Oh, no, climate headache. That the uh, 0.9 degrees is killing you. Uh, okay, that's, uh, what's going on here? Oh, no, he's got lice. I believe he has lice, America. That shampoo is very environmentally friendly. It's a very sad situation. I, I don't even know what is happening there. I mean, he's acting like his face is an ambitious 23-year-old actress, and his hands are Harvey Weinstein. I mean, Svante, stay away from the potted plants. It's dangerous over there. So how exactly did two uh, versions of Fabio spawn everyone's favorite climate hero? Let's ask Daddy. When my wife went to Tokyo, for instance, to do a, um, a series of concerts, and it was very important, uh, shown on Japanese TV and all this, you know, 4,000 people on each performance. Mm. And, uh, you know, that was very important to her. Okay. But then again, when she came home, Greta said, you know, you just spent um, like 20 people's, you know, carbon budget just <gasps> in, living in, in West Africa, for instance, oh, with no. their carbon footprint, just by going back and forth to Tokyo. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. Just picture for a second here what, what's being described. Mom just fulfilled some lifelong dream, and the first thing she gets when she walks through the door is a mouthful of planet murder from Little Miss Scowls a lot. Now, Anna, look, it's one thing to tell Mommy that opera sucks and makes all of us long for the destruction of the planet. That's fine, and it's absolutely true. But she just got home. Can you at least give her a second to fashion her noose? Now, are you noticing a little problem with the family dynamic here? Am I the only one, really? Because, I mean, Greta's not the mommy. Greta's not the daddy. Greta is supposed to be the kid. And it's the kid. Is the, She's the one dictating when she's going to show up to school. And what mommy and daddy are able to do with their frequent flyer miles. There should absolutely be a grounding after all of this. But it shouldn't have anything to do with flights. Your job as a parent is not to fold to your kids' enviro insults. Your job as a parent is to parent. Part of parenting is helping to ease the mind of a troubled kid, not to inflame it. Of course Greta is depressed. Of course she is. She believes everyone on Earth is going to imminently burn to a crisp. And the only way to stop it is to take away the one thing that makes mommy and daddy smile. It's a nightmare. Sure, you can see the good intentions in the situation. Greta has her issues. Mom and dad want to be her friend. They give up everything they love. And the only place they can find happiness is annoying us. The only thing to ask is, how dare you? But Greta isn't done. I mean, here she's got more. She's got more pressure to put on. This is where she goes in for the buzzkill. And so Greta said, you can't go on doing that. You cannot stand up for human rights while you're living this lifestyle. Uh -huh. And so we, we gave up that left lifestyle and my wife stopped flying 2016 okay. and I stopped flying uh, six months later. Mm -hmm. And um, 
regret, of course, stopped flying way before that. I hope so. And then became uh, vegetarians, then we became our vegan, and, oh. uh, and, and so on. <laughs> vegan? Of course he pronounces it vegan. Because only a guy with this hair could possibly pronounce it that way. You know who wouldn't pronounce vegan as vegan? I'll tell you who. Old school, 1980s, gas station romance novel era Svante. That's who. That guy pronounces vegan as thick, juicy steak. And then he keeps the gristle in his teeth just in case later on he needs to mouthfeed like a starving bear in the forest. How detached do you have to be in this situation? How detached do you have to be from real life to have your teen daughter tell you to stop working because of climate change and you actually do it? I mean, you just quit working? Either these two have a, maybe a lot closer to the rich people that they criticize, or that Ikea money is really flowing in Sweden. The entire thing illustrates the absurdity of the climate activist position. It's hard to even find a comparison to the ridiculousness of it. Maybe if you combined opera with really crappy Eurodance technopop. Oh, I could keep a secret. I could do it. But I think everyone needs to truly experience a little bit more of this performance. Now, in this clip, Mommy has mastered the dramatic head turn. I mean, look, I will admit that cheesy dance moves are easy to make fun of, and it's probably unfair to only play the dance sections of the song, which admittedly do sound like what would happen if Night at the Roxbury was a horror film. She is an opera singer, after all. But I want you to listen to this collection of notes, and you tell me that you don't understand how Greta got so miserable. I'm telling you, it's going to be in your head all day, right up until the time you blow it off. By the way, uh, after hearing her sing, are we really sure she quit her job for the climate? I mean, it sounded a little pitchy to me, dog. And, you know, dad was supposedly an actor that you remember, of course, from absolutely nothing. I mean, remember how this all started? Scary Weather Talk is now going to be Greta's new career Seems like they saw that Al Gore climate cash up for grabs and realized that going green for green is a little bit better than what they were trying out. Uh, the story here is, of course, not about some kid that has an underdeveloped perspective on the human experience. It's that mom and dad are indulging it, and it's causing their daughter to become hopeless. And it's that hopelessness that is stealing her childhood, not our empty words, and certainly not our SUVs. Now, it's absolutely easy to notice the selfish hypocrisy of all of this as Greta takes a luxury yacht across the ocean to be on the cover of a magazine. But remember, 
Taking a luxury yacht across the ocean to be on the cover of a magazine is actually the least selfish thing a teenage girl has ever done. By the way, I wrote that joke back in high school. Not a pleasant experience. Read more in my series of high school memoirs, Teenage Girls Are Evil, uh, Bedazzled Beelzebub, and of course, Getaway Is Not My Name. You can find all my writings in 1980s gas stations everywhere. They're usually right next to other wonderful books you might recognize, like Thrusting Pistons, Hunk in My Trunk, and of course, Svante presents the world's creepiest facial molestation techniques, all of which are available now and printed directly on murdered trees. Who does America? It's New Hampshire primary night. I am all a tingle. I can't wait to see all the results come in. I'm here with Steve Dace, of course, from Blaze TV as well. Steve, are you as tingly as I am? Always, Stu, although that is, uh, that, that, I don't want to be responsible for testing that. So I'm not sure here who here at the Blaze staff drew the short straw to, to do the tingling test, but uh, let's pray for them. <laughs> This is an interesting race, uh, and I think you have you have a lot of clarity on this, which I think is pretty interesting, because I think to most people looking at this, uh, it just seems like a total mess coming out of Iowa. We, you know, we don't even know who actually won. Uh, you have a pretty strong take on this, though. Where does this go from here? It's inevitable. Like Thanos, they're going to nominate their Jeremy Corbyn. They've always gone down this path. Um, it, it's been a uh, it's been a fever dream of the American left to to chase after uh, the uh, the secular left of uh, Western Europe. We're about you know uh, we're well we used to be about twenty years behind them. Now I think we're about three weeks, <laughs> and and so I think it's the most logical progression. And the reason why they're struggling to come up with an alternative to him is because there really isn't a Democratic Party establishment anymore. Whatever was left of it was destroyed by. Uh, what happened with Hillary Clinton's candidacy in 2016, and so they've been uh, they've been trying to run the 2028 and 2032 election here in 2020, and and what's left of I guess we would call moderates in their party, Stu, which really isn't based on ideology but temperament, meaning they don't just openly hate you, <laughs> but they have all the same beliefs. Uh, whatever's left of that is is somewhat scattered and and or is trying to figure out: Do I get on board with Bernie now? Uh, because even if I don't think he can win, what he represents is what the future of this party is going to be. I mean, this is a democratic socialist. I mean, it was only one election ago where we were racists for calling them socialists, for accusing <laughs> right. them of this horrible crime of socialism. Uh, and here they are. They're very close to nominating a democratic socialist. If, if what goes on tonight happens, I mean, Bernie was probably already the favorite in Nevada before any of this happened. Uh, Biden is tanking. I mean, South Carolina, is there any firewall there for a moderate to step in and say, you know, kind of put the face up and say, no, you're stopping here, Bernie. This is this train's not going to just keep going. Uh, I'm, you, have, you can't replace something with nothing. And so who is that person? Who is it? And I don't I don't think so. I mean, you have the only openly gay candidate uh, uh, masquerading as a moderate. But that's the reason he has no black support. It's just a whole bunch of people that know uh, that I'm right are pretending in the media that that's not the case, but it is. 
Um, and so since you don't have black America is not going to line up for the charge of the light and the loafers brigade. And so what you have now is we're going to head South after Nevada to South Carolina and then super Tuesday, just about, uh, nine days or so after that on March the 3rd. And, and, you know, on my show yesterday, uh, Stu, we went through that calendar and all the States, I think it's 12 mm -hmm. and, and best case, if we were the friendliest to Pete Buttigieg, we could possibly be, we thought maybe, maybe he could win three. And you have California going on that date as well. So I, I think the, the argument that's being had right now in the Democratic Party is, do you, do you try to prorate out uh, Bernie Sanders as long as you can? And keep in mind, you know, this is the, this is the party of uh, hashtag, um, you know, um, Hillary Killist. So I think they're playing out, hey, does he have another health scare? Does something happen where uh, we get rescued from this? Or do we cut our deal now? And, and not wait for a brokered convention. Because if you let Bernie's, uh, if you let his acolytes, if you let him loose in a brokered convention, it's going to make Chicago 68 look like Disneyland. And so I think I think this is this is the price uh, they have paid for playing footsie with these leftists for most of you and I's lives. And as the former president's uh, pastor once said, their chickens are coming home to roost. <laughs> that's, that's what's happening here, Stu. That's amazing. And, and you know, you think, you, you sit back and you watch this happen and, there's really doesn't seem to be a plausible way for candidates in a field like this, because we saw the same thing in 2016, where people, there seemed to be plenty of voters who didn't want to vote for Donald Trump in the primary, mm -hmm. but they couldn't find a way to align or come together behind one candidate. Um, and in a way, you're seeing that, I think, play out in the Democratic Party as well. It does seem like a lot of Democrats don't want to run Bernie Sanders, but they can't figure out a way to stop it. And, you know, it's, there's just this downhill momentum. And if I mean, the only thing seemingly left in the way is, you know, $53 billion in Michael Bloomberg. Is there anything there for the Democrats uh, to I mean, is that a wall even worth talking about? No. Uh, and I, I think, you know, Michael Bloomberg is a racist trending number one in the world on Twitter this morning. <laughs> Ended a lot. Whatever uh, whatever chances there were of that, they are severely wounded. I think what's going on in the Democratic Party is there's two bases of the Democratic Party, Stu. There is the leftist base, um, the ideological base, and then there's just I want government to do for me what I can't do for myself base. Mm -hmm. And that base is greatly disenchanted and, and dissatisfied with Washington, D.C. Just as if you look, who were the final two candidates standing uh, in, in the Republican race in 2016? You had Donald Trump running as the consummate outsider, and you had Ted Cruz running as the let's actually try principled conservatism for once. So I worked on that campaign. We won about 12 states, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Tell me who, other than Bernie Sanders in this field right now, you think if this goes to, you know, the 1st of May, like we did on the Republican side in 2016, tell me who in this field right now you think, other than Bernie Sanders, could win 12 states. I mean... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, there isn't anybody. There isn't. And so they they don't even have, like, the, the ideologically principled candidate. They don't even have that. You know, Elizabeth Warren has tried to be that, uh, but the reality is her ideological her ideology is just the same as Bernie's, but she's a woman. And so they, they don't really have the traditional Democratic Party is, is not really represented here ideologically. And this party now 
as I said a few minutes ago, moderate is defined by temperament, not ideology, meaning I don't move to the middle on any issue. I just don't shake my fist at you like I'm Nikita Khrushchev at the UN. That's that's what makes me a moderate. That's, that's how Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg, who wrote in college that his idol was Bernie Sanders, that's that's what makes them <laughs> moderates. Do they shake one fist or two? That's the moderates. I mean, it really is true. There is no moderate lane. It's a, it's a, it's a myth. Um, you know, when you talk about Pete Buttigieg, here's a guy who is talking about one of his main platforms is packing the Supreme Court so they can right. they can just roll over every conservative belief from here till the end of time. These are these are proposals that would be laughed out of a blogger at Vox's uh, you know story pitch meeting, <laughs> and this is the moderate <laughs> side of the party now. It's laughable. Yes. Yeah. I mean. Stu, the, the New York Times is doing the 1619 project because I haven't made enough Thanos references yet. What's happened is that the the Democratic Party and, the, and, and entities like the New York Times used to wink and nod at places like Vox and Salon to do their dirty work for them, okay? But there's this is like at the end of Age of Ultron and uh, the after credit scene when Thanos grabs the gauntlet and he says, fine, I'll do it myself. All right, so they couldn't get their capos. They couldn't get the underlings. To, to pull this off, all right? And so now the respected brands that were supposed to kind of be separated from this and untarnished by it, they're having to get their hands dirty and go all the way with declaring war on Americana. And that's and that's what's happening right now. And that's why, since there's no ideological candidate that can separate themselves from Bernie Sanders, what's happening now is he's beginning to pick up the vote of, you know what, I don't even agree with this guy. I think he's nuts. I just hate Washington. It doesn't work for me. And I want to disrupt and that's and that's where Donald Trump began. Two things helped Donald Trump go from novelty candidate to force of nature. The first was he had a singular issue, immigration. When he latched onto that and saw how much that connected him with the Republican base, that took him into the national polling lead. But what really made him difficult for us to beat in the Cruz campaign is somewhere in the middle of that campaign, we no longer were considered the change candidate, uh, the, the candidate that was going to you know, challenge the system, and Donald Trump was. And so when he, when he took on that brand as well, that's when he became, un, uh, became unbeatable. And so if they cannot offer somebody uh, ideologically who is sane, normal, makes them think, I don't have to be ashamed if I don't want my kids to get gender reassignment surgery, but I think Medicare for all might not be a bad idea. Since they can't offer up that candidate, what's going to happen is more and more people are going to say, hey, you know what? I just want whoever is the most radical change. And and then, then there's a third tier for Bernie Sanders. If he begins to look inevitable, like if he were to win California, and a few other states on Super Tuesday on March the 3rd, that's when another tier of support comes in. You can see Jonathan Chait over at the New Republic kind of wrote his, uh, the, the next stage of grief is acceptance uh, column today, is when people then begin thinking, you know what, I better cut my deal now so that when the music stops playing, I've got a chair to sit in. So they've got a couple of weeks here to figure out can they stop Bernie Sanders? But once we get past uh, Super Tuesday in California, if they haven't stopped him by then, then it's just a matter of whether he gets the delegates prior to Milwaukee or he just takes them from the party clenched fist style in Milwaukee. Okay, so let's just jump into the fantasy football areas here now of, of this election with Bloomberg one more time. Because I do think it's interesting. Here's a, this is something that's never before been attempted. Right? He's skipping these early states. He's dumping was going to wind up being half a billion dollars probably into this election uh, to see if he can win. Um, it is, if we get to a place where we go to a brokered convention 
And we have Bernie Sanders and Michael Bloomberg going at this. And Bloomberg wins. I mean, you alluded to uh, cities being lit on fire. This is, uh, Bernie's people are not going to take losing to a billionaire in this way lightly. Do you think this is a real possibility? I mean, we're talking about real chaos on the streets. I don't think there's any possibility anybody wins a convention other than Bernie Sanders. I I think Mm. there's two ways you win a convention. Um, One is you're everybody's second choice. Uh, Two is you take it by force. I, I don't see them have a second choice. So I, I think I think they take it by force, um, and, I, and and especially because in that scenario he would go in there with the lead, and if you deny him again, and I think this is where there's a certain amount of 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 ideological pragmatism within the Democratic Party, where we just saw play out with impeachment, where they 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 didn't want to do it because they knew it was politically damaging, mm-hmm. so they waited till they had the absolute weakest case possible, then did it just to placate this leftist base. And I think that's the issue that they face with Bernie Sanders. They've got a limited window to defeat him without without heightened toxicity, Stu. But if we get past, if he wins California on Super Tuesday, and then they try pulling this, they're gonna they're gonna lose, and it's gonna be it's gonna be damaging down ballot for a lot of Democrats as well. And so that's why I think he's inevitable. He is Thanos. He's going to be the nominee, whether he just wins it before we get to Milwaukee or not. Well, let me give you a third scenario of a way you win a broker convention. Everyone wakes up in their hotel room, come down to their parking lot, and there's a Bugatti in the spot where they parked their car previously. That's the Bloomberg way. I think it's possible. I mean, I changed my vote for one. They're pretty fast. Eh, we'll see what happens with it. Steve Dace, uh, of course, Blaze TV. Steve, uh, you know politics better than anybody. Thanks so much for coming on and laying this out for us. Anytime, Stu. Appreciate it. Congrats on the new show. Thanks, man. <sighs> I'm out of breath. I mean, you have a lot of analysis thrown at you so far. I get it. Your brain feels a little like mushy, lumpy oatmeal, which sounds delicious. I kind of thought it would be a good idea to kind of give you a little antidote to help ease your throbbing cortex. And you know what that antidote is? A big, dumb smile. I don't mean like a little dumb. I mean the dumbest smile you can possibly pull off. Try it right now by yourself. Big, dumb smile. I'm picturing you doing it right now. Do you feel better? No? Because maybe you need to see how a real expert does it. Now, if you're listening on podcasts, you need to go to at Stu Does America on Twitter, and you'll see this picture for yourself because it's today's edition of It Only Gets Funnier the Longer You Look. Mayor Pete! Now, zoomed out, this picture is like, it looks like a goofy, typical campaign photo. It's a a normal, fake, moderate Democratic candidate being worshipped by his throngs of empty, skulled sycophants, and blah, 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 blah. But as I say for the movie poster, that that weird sort of nihilistic Kevin Spacey movie from the 90s that we're not supposed to talk about anymore because he was actually like touching all sorts of people at the time, look closer. There's Pete. Uh, Now, it's the look of a leftist who kind of just saw his weed dealer giving out like freebie gram bags across the room. But as you get closer, you can kind of see something interesting develop. Look at, this is such a goofy face. But it's not goofy, he looks like. It's Goofy's dog, Pluto. It's almost identical. I mean, look at this. They, this is like you've got one all dog on all fours, another dog kind of up. That. Why does a dog have a dog? We don't understand that exactly. Um, now, as you look at this, you might be a little bit, you might wonder how a person who has that goofy of a face could be one of the front runners for a major political party he looks just a little bit too happy he looks like he's going to start laughing like crusty the crown the clown at any like moment <laughs> there's going to be something like that coming out of his mouth there 
Um, but I love this one guy in the background who's just kind of hanging out. And everyone else is really happy. And he's kind of seeing how dumb this looks. Can we see this next one? This guy, <laughs> he is not having it. There's a guy in the background and he just it looks like Seth Rogen is not like having a very bad day kind of in the background. Just taking all of this in. I think this man actually clearly intended to be at the Hot Dudes for Mike Lee rally across the street. Maybe we went in the wrong door. We don't know. Is that trending yet? Do we have that thing? Is it? It's got to be, right? Okay, good. Um, at least uh, I will say it's better than this lady. She's having a little bit of an issue. Uh, she has, I think, found the free the free chronic, uh, you know, smoke up America. She's happy about Pete. But then again, she's seeing him from the back. Uh, she's not seeing the goofy smile. She's like, I'm going to vote for this guy. And then she's going to see this picture and want to abandon not only Pete Buttigieg's campaign, uh, but uh, the Democratic Party and the entire process of democracy in America, um, because it's that goofy of a smile. I feel like uh, Pete really needs to kind of sort this one out um, because, I mean, the goofy thing, He's already got the uh, Alfred E. Newman that Trump gave him as a nickname. You don't want Pluto as well. Back in a second. All right, we're still looking at New Hampshire. It's, uh, I mean, it's a mess as it always is. Joining us uh, right now is from the Daily Wire, Josh Hammer. Josh, thanks for coming in. The pleasure is always mine, Stu. Uh, we, I mean, this is, I, you know, I'm obsessed with this stuff. When it comes down to these nights especially, I yeah. mean, I like to say that I don't care about politics, but this, there's something about this. It's kind of the sports fan in me, I think, yeah. that likes watching these results come down. Um, as you look at sort of the uh, predicting the future, what do you see coming out of all this? So there are not going to be enough tickets punched out of New Hampshire to satisfy everyone in this field. I mean, I expect candidates to drop possibly tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Tulsi Gabbard, for example. Like, what is she still doing in this race? Yeah. Uh, Tom Steyer will, will stick around until South Carolina for whatever reason. I think the fact that he's just basically carpet bombing the airwaves there. He's literally paying African-American voters to basically go there and say, I support <laughs> Tom Steyer. I care about climate change. It's a big issue. So Steyer will stick around. I think Tulsi could drop out easily. Klobuchar, if she gets fifth place, I mean, what is her argument? I mean, she's smarter than the rest. She's saner than the rest. But electorally, I'm not really sure she has much of an argument. So I think people will start to drop out. But whoever wins out of Sanders or Buttigieg probably solidifies himself as the frontrunner. Because going back to the advent of the modern system in 1972, no candidate has won Iowa and New Hampshire back-to-back and then lost the nomination. And Buttigieg and Sanders basically split Iowa. Right. right. So whoever wins tonight, I think really is a front runner. Uh, Steyer's an interesting one that no one brings up. I, I happened to go to uh, Vegas over Christmas vacation or right after Christmas. And I mean, Nevada is like, there's only two signs. You have like strip clubs and Tom Steyer. <laughs> and sometimes you can't even tell which one it is. It could be it's t- Tom's taking his top off. Uh, it, it, I mean, he is absolutely blanketed that state. And, I, and, and he's seen results there. He's climbed almost into the, you know, he's in the high singles there low uh, teens in in South Carolina, you know, without Bloomberg looming, it would have been interesting to see where that played out for him because he was making some progress. I do feel like he's been knocked down with a Bloomberg sort of wave about to hit. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, of those two candidates, Bloomberg or Steyer, my money would certainly go to Bloomberg. Uh, but, you know, but see the the, 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 yeah. the the whole controversy from this morning. But Bloomberg, I mean, he has, what, 2,000 plus campaign staffers right now. I mean, I mean Steyer is carpet bombing the airwaves in South Carolina and apparently the, bill, the billboards on the strip in, in Las Vegas. <laughs> but no. Bloomberg's got the money. He's got the infrastructure. If he, if he can survive this video we saw this morning, then I think he's probably better positioned right now. Well, let's talk about the video for a second, because yeah. I find this to be interesting. It's, it's an interesting split. Yeah. Obviously, this is a Democratic, uh, you know, it's a far left 
people who are bringing this up and they're saying, okay, Bloomberg's racist and it's trending everywhere. And if you haven't seen the video, basically he's, you know, describing stop and frisk and saying it was successful and saying that uh, it was mainly unleashed in minority communities because that's where the crime was happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, conservatives uh, in their joyous celebration to, uh, you know, have Michael Bloomberg have a bad day, which I'm always for. Like, I am completely behind that uh, general case. Go after this and say, well, uh, you know, Bloomberg's a racist. And it's like, well, if you really listen to what he says there, he says not that it's because minorities are doing making, you know, committing all the crimes. He's saying the witnesses are identifying them. So, like, if you are a black person in a black community and you say this other black person has committed a crime. Does that make the person accusing the black person a racist? Like I, I, I don't know what 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 is the argument here from a conservative saying that this argument is insane? Yeah, and the overwhelming majority—it's it's a tragic fact, but a fact nonetheless—the overwhelming majority of violence committed against Black Americans is by Black Americans. Mm-hmm. I, I actually just watched the Clarence Thomas documentary that's out in theaters just last week, and Clarence Thomas talks about this during the documentary. So it, it's horrible that that is the case. Horrible, and there are all sorts of possible remedies that we can talk about, but. That nonetheless is the case. Now, the Bloomberg video is inartful, to put it mildly. <laughs> yes. um, these, and this, the statistics he cites are also just not right. I mean, mm-hmm. he's talking about 95% of... Uh, yeah, that's of the, That's just not true. Um, he's, he, he's off on that. But it is a disproportionately large share. And you're right. I mean, you know, as, as my boss says, facts don't care about your feelings, right? <laughs> I mean, like, again, he's botching the statistics, but it still is his, his overarching point that is a disproportionately higher share... That's obviously correct. And, you know, stop and frisk. I'm a native of the New York area. I I know you are too, Stu. Mm -hmm. Stop and frisk, as implemented under Rudy Giuliani and continued under Bloomberg, was remarkably successful. I mean, we we could talk about the morals of it, but as a sheer, like, actual policy, it really did lower crime. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, even they they did find that it, it... protected some lives i mean there's i think there's constitutional concerns with it uh there's moral concerns with it um but it it did seem to be an effective policy um the bloomberg thing is interesting i think it might be the most interesting thing about this election uh purely because i think in 2016 you had something we'd never really seen before which is a guy who is a massive celebrity probably the biggest celebrity who's ever run for president in a serious way i mean reagan was a huge celebrity but he was a political figure by the time he was actually running for president i mean trump just comes in he's you know off of the apprentice is like all right let's go (laughs) this is a guy this is another like fantasy football entry into this where like no one's ever come in and spent $500 $500 million on ads in a primary. And he's essentially running unopposed in 12 states where he's building up now 15% in national polls. I mean, you know, I, I, you watch these guys at you know places like 538 and they try to model, model out this whole election. How the hell do you model out something like that? Who can, who knows what's going to happen? You can't. I mean, I mean, there's no precedent for what Mike Bloomberg is doing in this election cycle. And it's very interesting that it's happening on the Democratic side of the aisle. If we're yeah. on the Republican side of the aisle, it might make a little more sense. But the Democratic Party, of course, they criticize money in politics all the time. They hate this stuff. And to watch this guy, Mike Bloomberg <laughs> is literally, I think, one of the 10 richest people on the face of yeah, the earth. Yeah, right? number nine, yeah. Yeah, number nine, like $60 billion, whatever. So to, to watch someone worth that kind of money just trying to literally buy the nomination. I mean, Donald Trump is a wealthy man. Mike Bloomberg has orders of magnitude more money than Donald Trump. It's like not even a close call. No. It, it, but it, it's, it's crazy to watch this unfold because on the one hand, you have Sheldon Whitehouse and all these other people who rail against Citizens United and they hate dark money or as Pete just says, black money or whatever. That, <laughs> whatever oops. That, yeah, oops. Yeah. Um, but they hate that stuff so much and they have this guy who's literally trying to buy it. It's, it's really crazy to watch unfold. 
So we get to, let's say we get through these first four states, and Bernie looks like he's got uh, a stranglehold on the nomination largely. He'll have this big Bloomberg wall sitting there waiting for Super yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, where does the establishment go in the Democratic Party? They don't like either side here. No, the the Democratic establishment literally could not envision a worse scenario, I think, than... <laughs> Which is great. Uh, it's it makes a, me it, so happy. From a conservative perspective, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. But Bernie Sanders, who... Is he even registered as a Democrat? I don't think so, only, right? Yeah, he's only an, when he's running for president. Only when he's running for yeah. president. In the four years, every year between presidential cycles, he's yeah. an independent. He self-describes as a democratic socialist, mm -hmm. perhaps sometimes even a socialist. And Mike Bloomberg, of course, was initially elected as a Republican. By the time he finished his mayoral stint in New York, he was an independent. But... His most public-facing tenure in the political limelight was as a Republican. He literally was the opposite political party as the presidential nomination he's now seeking. So if you're the establishment, I don't know what you do. I mean, I, I'm inclined to think more people there would go for Bernie, believe it or not, because Bloomberg is just... We saw today, I mean, again, like that video was particularly inartful, but he's just so out of touch with where yeah. the grassroots Democrats are in a way that Bernie might not be. And he's also got, I mean, they, we haven't even got, you know, dove into the comments about women that, he, that are on the record from right. Bloomberg. He was, he's got all sorts of stuff that can come out. And I, part of it, I think they're holding their fire a little bit on, on his campaign because, you know, he's not even running. He's not even their competition yet. I mean, I do think that, you know, one of the reasons why when Buttigieg announced uh, he was running, here's a guy running for the mayor of South Bend, and from the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, to the White House makes no sense. No one believes he can do it. The only reason I took him seriously at all was because he was introduced into sort of the public eye by Barack Obama himself, who kind of came out of nowhere in a speech and just was like, you know, one of these up-and-coming guys is this guy, Pete Buttigieg, in South Bend, Indiana. I was like, who? I go, what, how do you pronounce his name? And I do think that there is an, you know, an energy there um, from the establishment. They, would, they wouldn't mind that solution because Pete is not a moderate. He's playing right. it that way. And that's sort of the way Barack Obama went about things. I mean, right. you know, there's sort of that uh, academic feel. Yep. Um, it, it's, it's a younger vibe. That's always been what's worked for Democrats, at least the last 50 years or so. I mean, do you think there's a chance that, that they come together and say, look, we got to get Klobuchar, Biden, uh, you know, we love you guys, but like, it's not going to happen this time. We need to unite around someone and maybe Mayor Pete is the guy. So he does have Obama-esque vibes for a lot of different reasons. He's got the Harvard degree. He's well spoken. He hasn't really done anything in his life. I mean, like, I mean, like, no, like <laughs> seriously, the qualifications. Like, yeah. yeah, like they share a similar set of qualifications and, frankly, a similar world worldview. Right. Yeah. The the elephant in the room that no one will talk about with Pete Buttigieg, some conservatives have started to raise it, is obviously the fact that the Black Church is a very socially conservative institution. And it's unclear how much black support he would get in a general election. I really think that if Trump ends up going against Buttigieg in the nomination, I think you're looking at a bare minimum of 15% black support, which is basically double what deal. It's a, it's a, big, it's a huge yeah. deal. But you couple that unique uh, skepticism, if not outright hostility, from the conservative, the social conservative least black community towards Buttigieg, combined with what Trump has touting with these political ads on the First Step Act and Alice Johnson and things like that, mm -hmm. I really think you're looking at 15 to possibly even upwards of 20% support if, if, on a good day. And the, the election's over at that point. I mean, that, that is it. I mean, if Trump gets 15, 20% of the black vote, that's game over. So I actually don't think Buttigieg is a particularly scary general election opponent. That's the one reason and probably the only reason I could see the Democratic establishment maybe shying away from him. It feels like in a normal year, I mean, Klobuchar sort of feels like the right candidate in a normal year, but she's so... 
bad at like communicating where yeah, like she's so she gets to bumper stickers so fast like yeah. she she's you could just tell she's one of those people that just memorizes answers and thinks she's nailed it so i, I mean and she just hasn't come along as much even though she's a very good electoral record i mean her she'd be on, on paper she's probably the one they should run Buttigieg is interesting to me in that like here's someone who is such the polar opposite from the average person watching Donald Trump next to Pete Buttigieg. I mean, you know, older and younger, you know, uh, you know, very well-spoken, like academic type to just, you know, plain talking guy, you know, gay guy versus someone who's married to a supermodel, right? Who's right. importing supermodels from other countries. There's just like, there's just so on the other side of, of, of things. And that contrast is interesting. Of course, Democrats love saying we ran the first gay candidate. They would, they would, even with a loss, they would take that as at least a, a, a secondary win. Um, in a way, I think like the establishment would like to align around Pete, but you know, it's. I think by the time this all sorts itself out, they're not going to have the option. They're going to have Bernie or Bloomberg, and like this is a total disaster for them, and it makes me so happy. Yeah, no, it really is shaping up like a total clown car disaster. But <laughs> with respect to Pete Buttigieg, I don't think people are talking enough about his lack of qualifications for this office. I mean, Joe Biden yeah. obviously had that attack, that attack ad where he hit it pretty Which hard. Which I liked, although it, it, it was, he waited too long for it, you know? He, oh, yeah. It seems, seems desperate after you lose, you know? You got to do that before. You can't yeah. just throw that out there after you lose. For sure. And I mean, that was a nuclear bomb of an ad. The kind of thing, was, I mean, I saw that and I was like, is that his campaign? Because it looked like a super PAC ad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah. that, was a, that was a campaign. Yeah. But Buttigieg, he was the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. I mean, I've been to South Bend, and I'm not, I'm not sure if you have. I mean, like, it is... 100,000 people on a good day. It is kind of a, it's not a particularly pleasant place to be, I have to be honest with you. I was there for, for I mean, I, I, mean, <laughs> I was- lost the, all our fans now in South Bend. <laughs> well, I was there for a Notre Dame football game. I had a great time with the football game. I was there for a Notre Dame USC game. I had an mm-hmm. awesome time. But the city itself, I mean, like, a, a crime has been a problem there. It's not the best governed city in the world. I mean, <laughs> his qualifications are just- not they're there. not even there. They're not there. They're not existent. They're not there. Yeah, like he, he's he's too young to you know he's they, they drafted him out of high school, right? Like you know he's he, it's his first year in the league. He's probably should be playing eighteen minutes again a night, and that's it. Yeah. Um. One more question on this because I, one thing I, I feel like I spent no one's spending any time on because they like to say uh, Buttigieg is a moderate. Uh, you're you're a guy. You're very connected to the courts. He, I mean, he wants to pack the Supreme Court. Talk about this a little bit because this is a really extreme plan. Yeah, I mean, packing the courts, expanding it to, I think, 15 is the number that most Democrats, including Buttigieg, are talking about, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, this yeah. was the exact plan that was swatted down during the FDR presidency. Um, but it's not just that he wants to pack the courts. It's a kind of caliber of jurist that he wants to stack the courts with. Mm-hmm. Pete Buttigieg's comments on religious liberty in particular, and I'm of counsel at First Liberty Institute, which is based here and mm-hmm. defends religious liberty, so perhaps I'm a little biased, but I think it's genuinely scary, the kind of stuff that comes out of people who judge his mouth when it comes to religious liberty and the First Amendment. I mean, someone asked him, would you be able basically to discuss traditional biblical morality when it comes to sexuality and uh, sex and things of that nature? And his comment was basically, you couldn't do it if people have their rights infringed upon. Now, what does that mean, okay? Like, like, yeah. like, like what is that supposed to mean? He's, he, he's not talking about any kind of accommodation. So, you know, the left talks about tolerance, but the lack of tolerance that they display for, for religious people, and I think Pete Buttigieg is the shining exemplar of this right yeah. now, it's very scary. All right, Josh Hammer, Daily Wire. We're going to leave it there. Back in a second. So, we're going to know a lot more. Uh, after tonight about who's going to be taking on Donald Trump in the election in uh, November. And I think tomorrow maybe we'll spend some time on how you 
can cash in on that process. Because this is America, right? What country are we talking about here? We're talking about a country where, sure, we could go fight for tax cuts and all that other stuff. That's important. But what about just profiting off of predicting the results of the election? That's what I want to do. Because, honestly, if we're going to have to live through this circus every single day, we might as well at least make some money off of it. Can we at least agree on that? By the way, subscribe uh, to the channel that you're on, YouTube, uh, podcast. Please do that. And NancyPelosiSucksPen.com, always a good option. See you tomorrow.